Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. Most of you guys have I heard Don and I at some, some point lead a ministry called Life Action, and we're usually on the road, but when we're here, this is, uh, you know, this is our home, and, uh, uh, and it, it, some of you are new, so I, you'll probably get sick of me saying this, but Jay's grandfather led me to Jesus um, a long, long time ago, <laughs> and so the sovereignty of now seeing the grandson of the man who led me to Christ ministering to my grandchildren now, that's pretty stinking cool, and so just always, always thankful to be with you, but especially today, um, because I'm going to share a new message. My wife's going to help me a little bit, but I want to do something first that we rarely get, get to do. So um, Jay and TC and really your, your leadership team and I, we've been talking about um, how can we at Life Action help when the time was right for our church here at Midtown to, to expand and partner overseas, right? Because we know what Jesus told us, right? That he wants us to be a part of every people group, every nation, every tongue knowing the gospel. And so beyond our giving, you know, what is our chance to say, hey, there's something we can do. We can partner. We can actually go and support and pray for real people, you know, that we can get to know, not just uh, money that we give, which is important, and here, you know, kind of in general, but real people that we know personally. And, uh, and this is really cool. We get to start today. And so, uh, James, would you come up here? I want to introduce you to some of our best friends. We're going to get a mic for James Good. And uh, we're going to use first names because this family are missionaries in Central Asia. And uh, we've got, but y'all way better. So we've got James, we've got Shelly, we've got, we got Rachel Beth and, uh, and Carolyn. Y'all aren't waving. Okay, there you go. And we got Isaiah over here and Sarah Faith. And we love this family and they're they're hanging out with us for the weekend, um, but it's a whole lot bigger than that. Uh, 27 years ago, uh, I was pastoring a church in Brownwood, Texas, and uh, God was beginning to move in powerful ways. We were, we were praying and believing that we were in the beginning of, of, of what looked like biblical revival, those movements where he just shakes things up. Um, and those movements usually start, by the way, with young people. Uh, they, 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 in history, that's usually what happens. And uh, we, we had a collegiate meeting where a man was speaking. And in that meeting, uh, a young college student came up and, and laid on his face on the platform and uh, said, I'm taking off my mask tonight. And uh, we didn't leave for a long, long time. And that student is standing here with me now. Man, you're, you're a little older now. And uh, James was that student. And that was very significant at Howard Payne University in Brownwood, Texas. It was significant at our church. What we didn't realize was it was significant um, for, for, for the spiritual history of our nation. Because over the next two years, God began to move across America in what some have called the Brownwood Revival. Really, it, it was a, a season of collegiate and local church awakenings. Um, and a lot of what it did, it launched people uh, into the world mission. And, and it's, it's still having impact. For instance, we went back with a life action team this fall to the same university, and we Skyped James in to the same spot where he stood when all that happened. And, uh, and we saw God break loose again on that campus. It just just powerful. So now, um, these are our dear friends. We were with them in, in uh, November in Central Asia where they live. And I, I want you to meet them because it's pretty significant, I think, to the future of, of our church. James, um, we've been talking, having an awesome time this weekend together. Um, what's the Lord been teaching you lately uh, as you serve him overseas? Yeah, it's great to be with y'all. And I think the thing that we're continuing to be reminded of is the importance to continue to say yes to God along the way. Uh, you know, 27 years ago, I said yes to God when he asked me to, you know, take off that mask. But there's been many times since then where God continues, you kind of get to a point where it's like, okay, am I still going to say yes? And so we had that opportunity about two years ago uh, where we lived, there was a war that had broken out at the border. And so there were different families that were fleeing as refugees and so a number of the churches where we live began to take them in. And so 
I contacted a pastor friend of mine that was there and I said, hey, you know, we have a nice house and so if there's a family that needs it, you know, we're willing to host uh, a family. And so then he called me about 30 minutes later, said, hey, are you really serious about that? Because uh, we have a family. And so we gathered our family around and said, okay, are we really serious about this? Because they're going to be going through trauma. We don't know what we're going to be getting and they could be with us for the next nine, 10 months. And so as we prayed about it, we quickly all just said, yes, yes, yes. Took a quick poll, of course. And, uh, and so we opened up our home. We ended up getting uh, two sister-in-laws and their five boys, 10 and under. And so both their husbands were fighting on the front lines. And so every night we would gather together. They didn't speak any English. And they, from where they were, they had a very thick local accent. And so even with our language, it was hard to communicate with them at first. Uh, but our language got a lot better over the next nine months. But the war would go on for 44 days. And so the, their two husbands were in the war. The, their, their parents ended up joining us a week later. So there was nine of us. And so we would gather together and pray every night uh, with them and pray for their dads. And the dads every morning would call their wives, the husbands would call their wives every morning, just say, I'm still alive. I'm still alive. And the next day, I'm still alive. Well, there came a point where one of the wives hadn't heard from her husband for three days. And she was beginning to panic because uh, she couldn't get in touch with them, hadn't heard anything from them. And so that evening, one of our times of prayer, we were uh, just would read different stories in the Bible. That night we were doing Psalm 144. And in verse six, it talks about where David is, it's about war. And David is talking about his enemies. And he says, flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Uh, send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand and rescue me and deliver me. And then we began to pray and Isaiah, who is 11 at the time, just started praying what we had read. He said, Lord, protect Mr. Vadim and his unit. Lord, send the lightning and scatter the enemy. Lord, protect him, save him, deliver them. Stretch out your hand to save them. Two days later, the mom, Rosanna, gets a call from her husband. He says, God, save me. And he saved our unit. He said, we had been fighting for several days and we were completely out of ammunition. We were completely surrounded by the enemy and we were getting ready to surrender because there was absolutely no way of escape. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there was this huge lightning strike and it sent the enemy to the ground. And there was one way for us to get out. We took it, we ran, and all of us survived. One of the things we've seen is been reminded of is the power of prayer. And when God shows you things in scriptures and brings things to mind, it's not by accident. Mm -hmm. That God is working. And so the thing we've been reminded, and so that family ended up staying with us for nine months. After the 44 days, the husbands came back. They were uninjured, not a scratch on them. Even though one of them had had his tank bombed twice, everybody else in his unit had died. But he walked out without a scratch. And this area where the war happened, there have been people trying to go and share the gospel there for years. It was one of the hardest areas. But then all these people from those areas end up coming and staying with lots of believers. And so we saw God do amazing things through this family. Now, there, Isaiah has new five brothers, right? And, and so we love this family very much. But, and God continues to work there. And so we've seen some of them come to faith. Some of them are in the process but none of it would have happened if we just would have stayed comfortable with where we were. And so a lot of times what we're learning is when you say yes to God, it doesn't mean it's easy because it was not easy having this family with us for nine months. There was a lot of really hard days, but it was absolutely worth it. And the thing I'd encourage you is you're at a place where you're like, man, do I say yes, do I not? Man, it is so worth following Jesus. Whether you've said yes a long time ago or you need to say yes again today, it is worth it. You know, uh, when, you're, when you live overseas as missionaries and you just, you're, Jesus is the center of your life. He's not, he's not a part of your life like it sometimes is in the American church. Uh, it's very different. And whenever we're with this family, we love their kids. The, what they always want first is to say, uh, Pastor John, tell us, tell us about miracles that God is doing. 
And so, you know, we, those are the discussions we have with kids. And we have seen a bunch of miracles together and stories that we have separately. That was one of them. You got, you got more? We, I love for us to hear what God is doing, uh, that, that he is real and he's working in power. Uh, what, what's he doing miraculously where you serve? One of the things, so we've been in our current location where we're going to talk about in a minute where y'all might be coming in October, but we've been there for four years now, but we were in a different location for 12 years before that. And about now, it's been like 13 years ago or so ago, we were outside of an Ikea. Uh, and so we had just run into an Iranian family. And so our girls were in uh, Caroline, who was in a stroller at that point. So this lady, oh, he's so cute. Oh, and so we got talking. So we ended up inviting them for dinner. They came over to our, our house for dinner one night. And then they invited us to dinner. We went to their house for dinner one night. And then they moved back to Iran and we didn't hear anything from them for nine years. Well, when we moved to our new location, one of the reasons we moved there is because it's easy for folks to get to us. And so they, out of the blue, I get a text saying, I don't know if you remember me, uh, but we met years and years ago and we would like to talk to you. And so I knew with where they lived, it's not the easiest thing to do. And so I told them where we were now and said, you know, maybe some point we all could come and we could talk. And said, oh, that'd be great. And so we had moved to our new location. We'd been in our house three weeks. I get another message, a call from her saying, um, by the way, we're on the way to come see you. We'll be there in two days. <laughs> and so I said, great. We look forward to seeing you. I hang up and said, Shelly, we're going to have guests. She said, how many are coming? I said, I don't know. How long are they staying? Again, I didn't ask. <laughs> and so at 11 o'clock at night, two days later, here comes this husband and wife and their 20-year-old son at our door. And they say, you know, five years ago, we left Islam because we knew it wasn't right. And we've been searching for what is truth. And we still remember the peace we felt at your house nine years ago. So we came so you could tell us how do we find that peace. And so the next morning, we started sharing. And that night, we started sharing. But rather than jumping straight to Jesus, we knew that we needed to do a little background. Because, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, the God of Islam, the God of the Bible, they're exactly the same. But we've seen that's that not the case. And so we started with the creation story. We didn't even get all the way to man. We just did from the beginning to the creation of the animals. And so we did that story with them and then asked them, you know, what do you see about God here? You know, what, what do you learn in this? And the wife goes, you know... I see that God loves me. And I thought, yeah, that's really good. That's true. But how do you get that out of this story? And she said, my whole life, I was very devout. I would go to the mosque. I would do the readings. I would dress the correct way. I did everything I was supposed to do. But I did it out of absolute fear of God. Because the God of Islam is somebody that you fear. And if you don't do the right thing, he's going to crush you. So everything I did was out of fear. But as I read this story, I see after God makes everything, God says it was good. God makes the plants and the animals. It's good. God had said it's good. He said, if God sees all of his creation that he has made as good, it means he thinks I'm good. And for the first time in my life, I realized that God loves me. They stayed with us for four days. At the end of four days, she said, what else do I need to know about following Jesus? And we just said, just like we've been going through these stories in the Bible, you have a Bible now, just read it and obey it. Say yes to God. Whatever he shows you, just do that. We put him in touch with a, a friend of ours in the in, in country that could follow up with him. They met with him once or twice. But then we didn't hear anything from them. And we knew she had come to faith while she was with us. But with the husband and son, they were interested, but they just weren't quite ready yet. But then for the next four years, I couldn't get in touch with them. The phone had been turned off. We had no idea what had happened to them until three weeks ago. I got another message from her, and they were calling to say, we wanted to let you know we just arrived in Canada and we love Jesus. And we were wondering, can you help us find a church here in our city in Canada because we want to continue to grow? And she said, and her husband got on the phone and he said, I, I love Jesus. 
Thank you so much for sharing with us because I love Jesus. My son loves Jesus. We, you know, we want to follow Jesus, you know, and so now that we're out, we want to continue. So can you help us to find a church? And so God's word never returned void. And so when we first got that call a couple of years ago, we didn't even remember having dinner with these people nine years ago. And so you never know how God will use you just being faithful and saying yes to him in ways you have no idea. And by God's grace, he didn't have to show us this, right? That what he had done in this family and give us the intersection four years ago and then to get a call from them three weeks ago. But it's so encouraging because along the way, you meet so many different people. And if you continue to live it out and be there, you never know how God's gonna use that to transform lives. Amen. How cool is that? I mean, wouldn't you like to be a part of that? Well, you can be. Because here's what's really cool. Um, while we were there, uh, Don and I, uh, ministering to our friends, ministering with our friends, I preached at a church that's very unusual. They have basically two things in common, Jesus and the English language. Okay? It's an international church there in Central Asia. And the pastor said this to me, will you help me? Will you help us? And so in October, our ministry at Life Action is taking a team to help them. We're going we're, we're gonna to be able to share the gospel with people from across the world who speak English. We're going to be able to minister to this church. We're going to be able to minister to our missionary friends and other, and other families. But here was a problem. Um, we're going to do an, an eight-day, what we call a summit at Life Action, where we do some, We bring in a children's camp, student camp, preschool camp, and a worship team, all this. Well, we can't take one of our worship teams off the road. We've got three of them, adding a fourth next year. We can't take one off the road. We go, what do we do? What do we do? Started praying, talking to Jay, talking to TC. And, and guess what? You guys are going to send a worship team there. And, uh, and so you'll be hearing a lot more about this in the days ahead. But there may be opportunities for others of you to go with us as well. There will be opportunities for everybody to pray and help. So, so James, to finish this up, tell us a, a little bit about what, it, what we might be able to do as we come to, to be with you. Yeah, and the way it kind of ties all the way back into revival, one of the things we learned in that time was the importance to be accountable, to have, you know, for me, men in my life that would ask me the hard questions. Uh, and so my accountability partner there is the pastor of the International Church. And so God uh, connected us. We have a great friendship. He's an amazing man. And so we love their church. We actually do house church there, but we love the International Church there. And so you've got uh, Indian medical students that are there. You have Iranians that come in. You have uh, embassy workers that are there. You have locals that come. And so it's quite a mix of different folks and they just baptized 13 people at Easter. And none of them had any kind of church background. Some coming from Hindu backgrounds, of, uh, some coming from Muslim backgrounds. So God's really been doing a neat work there. And then for our family, we also have uh, some other teammates that are there uh, and some other uh, missionary families that are in the area. And where we are, it kind of chews up and spits out missionaries over the years. It's not necessarily a hard place to live physically, but it's a very difficult place spiritually. And so we've seen over the years, people just kind of get, get burned out and go quickly. And so when John and Donna came uh, for a short visit uh, in November, uh, God just really used them just in that short visit to minister to our family and to some others. And so we talked about what would it look like to bring a team back and to, at the front end, help us out uh, and to get kind of some of the soul care that we desperately need, but then to do a summit for the international church there. And so I think it's going to be really, really amazing to see what God will do. Amen. I, I think if we want to be a part of changing the world, we have to pour into leaders, okay? We're not, we're not going to ourselves reach Central Asia for Jesus, but we can help the leaders that live there, and we're equipped to do it. And so I want to ask you as a church, will you help? Will you pray? Will you get ready to be a part of this incredible opportunity in October? And right now, would you join me in, in prayer for this family? And so, so you guys stay seated. Everybody else stand up and, and just let this family stay seated because we're going to just pray over them. So just stretch out a hand to the family over, over here and uh, to James and let me lead us in, in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for this amazing moment. Lord, I remember the early days of this where we just had a small group of people not really knowing what you would do in this place called, called Midtown. 
And, and Lord, what you have done is just astonishing. And, and you continue to do it. And people are coming to faith and you're breaking barriers. The world has no idea how to break. And you're bringing us together in love and we're learning from each other. And now, Lord, you're opening up opportunities for us to be a global movement and to join the global movement. And you've brought here, right here to us, Lord, not pictures on a screen, but lives and people that we have known and loved that you have used and, and they're humble and they're kind and they love you and they share you at great sacrifice and sometimes risk. And so, Lord, we come before you today. We lift our hands over them and we ask for your blessing on them, your protection over them, the filling of your spirit, strength and, and sustenance for their souls. And Lord, that you would now show us as a church how we can join together with the ministry that, that Donna and I lead, Life Action. And Lord, that we would be able to answer the call of the pastor and of this missionary family and say, yes, we will help. And we can't wait to see all you're going to do, Lord. As I was listening to the worship, I was thinking about what it's going to be like, Lord, for people like TC and John and others, Lord, um, to be singing your praises and leading people, Lord, from, from all of these languages and people groups to praise and worship you together and see what you'll do. We praise you for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, brother. Love you, man. So glad you're here. Let these folks know you love them. Sure. And I'm going to pray for John and the message here. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to be in your presence. And Father, as John and Donna bring this message, I pray that they would hide behind the cross. I pray that you prepare our hearts uh, to hear what you want to say. And Lord, uh, we just invite the Holy Spirit in this place to speak to our hearts, uh, to deal with sin that might be hidden, to deal with uh, fear that is keeping us from saying yes. Lord, would you do a work today mm -hmm. that isn't because of John and Donna, but because of you, Jesus. Mm -hmm. So Lord, we just ask that you would move in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. All right, I'm excited about this. Um, because we, we minister you know, all over the, the country and the world, um, the Lord gives us messages that uh, we believe need to be heard in, in, in over and over in different places. But um, we also pray that he keeps us fresh. And so um, no one has ever heard this before. So I'm sorry, but you guys are guinea pigs, all right? And we, we pray that God's going to use this, not just here, but, but uh, in, in everywhere that he, that, he, that he takes us. I want to make a statement. And I think we know in our heads, if we follow Jesus, this is true. But my prayer is before we leave here today, it would sink deep into our heart and into our soul. And here it is. There's nothing more important in the world than knowing God. Nothing more important in the world than knowing God. God. Let me, let me just really quickly run you through some passages. We're going to concentrate on one, but let me, let me show you what, what, what God says. Psalm 100 verse, verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Know that the Lord is, is God. First Kings chapter 8 verse 60. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. That's why missions is so critical. That's why loving your lost friends is so important because there is no other God. Proverbs chapter two, verse five. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Nothing could matter more. John 17, verse three. Now, man, this is Jesus. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, eternal life, it matters pretty much, right? You, I think I've told you before, C.S. Lewis said, the only thing Christianity can't be is moderately important. If, if what we believe is real, man, it is everything. It is life itself. And that's what the New Testament tells us. It's eternal life to know God. And then one of my favorite passages, I uh, wrote an entire book about, about this verse uh, because overseas in places where believers are persecuted over and over and over and over again, we heard this is our verse, this is our passage. And so wrote a book called Authentic Power about how we can know that power here. Paul said that I may know him. If you read the whole chapter, he's saying, I give up everything. Everything else is like sewage in my life compared to one thing, one thing, one thing. I want to focus on one thing, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his 
death. Paul said, this matters more than anything. Everything in your life, the entire purpose of your life, the destination of your life, the destination of your eternity, all comes down to knowing God. Now, if you haven't met him today, there's nothing more important that could ever happen. And, and this could be the day when you meet him. Most of you have. Most of you are a part of, of this family and you know Jesus. So what is there in this message for you? Well, here's the, the title of this message. Meet God again. Meet God again for the first time. Meet God again for the first time. You know how big he is? He is, he is so big that you are able to meet him again for the first time today, to meet him fresh every day, just like you'd never met him before. He's that big. And he wants to know you in new and fresh ways every single day. Now, now here's what's really crucial. We, we don't have the option to know the God that we want to make him to be. When I talk to people sometimes that don't know God, they'll say things like, well, this is my truth and this is your truth, which when you think about it is absolutely ludicrous. We never ever think that way unless we're trying to excuse not wanting to know the real God and, and just wanting to know a God that we make up for ourselves that meets our needs. For instance, if, if, you, if you went to the pharmacy and said, hey, um, I've, uh, I've got this prescription um, and um, you know, I, I've got a cold and uh, I need the prescription filled. And they came back and they said, you know what? All medicine is relative and our truth for you today is to give you an antipsychotic because you don't look too good. So, so I know you have a cold. We're giving you an antipsychotic because you know everything's relative. It doesn't matter. This is our truth. Enjoy the medicine. You, they, you'd report them. Get them you know, in, in jail, right? There's no realm of life except when we're trying to make things work spiritually our way where we would say, well, that may be your truth. This is my truth. No, truth is truth. And Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth. And to know God, nothing matters more than this. So what we need is for God to introduce himself to us. If, if we're gonna know him for the first time or meet him again today and again tomorrow, for the first time, like it's all fresh and new and there's more to know. We never run out of the ability to know God deeper and more and more. Then we have to know who he is. We have to know what matters most to him. And we do because he introduces himself. Turn to Exodus chapter three. Exodus chapter three, I'm not gonna give you a lot of background. My, my wife will give you a little more in a minute. But um, God wants to introduce himself to his people. So he picks out a guy named Moses, and uh, appears in a very, very unusual way. Moses sees a bush burning, and it's not being consumed, and he thinks that's kind of weird, and he's out in the desert, and where did this come from? So he, he, he goes to see, and God speaks to him. And what God says is, I'm going to tell you who I am, and then you're going to tell others who I am, even my enemies, even people that want to kill my, my own people. You're going to tell them who I am, so you need to know who I am. So in this passage, God introduces himself. Exodus chapter three, verse six says this. And God said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, he begins to introduce himself. I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, they were slaves. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters or their oppressors. And I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression which, which, with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And because Moses obeyed, everything changed. You would not be sitting here with a savior that you can know and a God that you could meet because from this people that were nobodies and slaves and nothings in the eyes of the world, the Lord delivered them and one day brought a Messiah who saved you and me. How cool is that? So this really matters. 
what God tells us and how he introduces himself. Don and I want to just show you five things this evening that are so important to God. When he introduces himself, these are the things he focuses on. So forget about your truth or anybody else's truth. This is God's truth. And that's the truth that matters. So the first thing God says he wants us to know, he says, I see you. I see you right there at the start of verse seven. I have surely seen. Now, what's he seeing? Well, he says, I've seen your affliction. Man, the word affliction is a, is a, is a terrible word, really, really. It means miserable depression and desperation. Anybody ever been there? Maybe you are there. I mean, m- maybe before you came here, you were thinking, I don't know if there's any help for me or hope for me because I am miserable and desperate. Well, good news. The first thing God says when he introduces himself to you is, hey, I want you to know, I see you are not invisible. I see your misery. I see your depression. I see your desperation. I see. I've got six grandkids. Grandkids are wonderful. Man, they're great. We watched our grandkids that are Matt and Christie's kids while they were on vacation. And the great thing is we watch them and we give them back. It's so wonderful, you know? They're really cool though. And they tell you all kinds of crazy things and do all kinds of fun things. So we got a two-year-old named, named, named Judah. And he's, he's Papa's boy right now, man. I love this little guy. And when we're with him, he wants to play hide and seek. I think he'd play it all day long, right? I mean, I, think, I don't know. I think he would never stop playing hide and seek with me. But he has a little bit of a different take on the game. He doesn't quite have it figured out. He'll say, Papa, 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 play hide and seek, play hide and seek. I said, okay, okay. And, and I go, one, two, and I'm counting. And he lays on the floor and covers his face with a pillow. <laughs> But I, I've learned, okay, about this game. So I go, 10, and I walk around the room. Where is Judah? I don't know where. He is. is he under the sofa? No. Is he hiding behind the refrigerator? No. And after a little while, he just can't take it anymore. And he goes, here I am, Papa, here I am, and takes the pillow off of his face. And I was thinking about that the other day. And I thought, man, that's exactly the way God introduces himself to us. He, he, he kind of winks at it and he goes, I see you. Sometimes you may want to hide, but I see you. You you can't escape me. And that's good news because he's not out to harm you. He loves you and he sees you. You are not invisible. But sometimes we we hide our face. (laughs) I I just, I I, I don't want God to to see me. I don't want to see him. I'm so broken. and, And God's standing right there. I wonder where you are. Oh, there you are. There you are. So you know what we need to do? We need to uncover our face and watch him watching us. There's nothing more beautiful in this whole world than to know the God of the whole universe that made everything sees you. And that you can uncover your face and go, well, there you are, Lord. (laughs) And here I am. You see me. (laughs) I'm never gonna be alone. Psalm 137 uh, Psalm, Psalm 31, rather, verse seven, a guy that's uh, scared and suffering a little bit, looking for refuge, a guy named David. He says, I'll rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. Why? Because you've seen my affliction. Same word. In fact, I think David knew it was the same word and he was, he was looking back and remembering how God had introduced himself. And he said, I, I don't wanna hide my face anymore because... You've seen my depression and my desperate misery. He says, you have known the distress of my soul and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. In other words, you've not left me alone. You've set my feet on a broad place. I'm not walking on this little, this, this, this little piece of wood where I'm gonna fall off of a cliff. You've set me on a secure place. That's the first thing God says when he wants you to know his truth about who he is. I see you. You're not left in misery. And then in that same verse, back to Exodus 3, verse, verse 7, God says, here's the second thing I want you to know. I hear you. I hear you. He says, I have heard the cry of my people because of their taskmasters. Literally, the word taskmaster is oppressor. And I, re- I really like this. Uh, um, so it's talking about slave masters. I mean, we know the horror of slavery in our own country, the horror of slavery that, that still exists around the world. And by the way, we believe there are more slaves now than there ever been in history. So don't think we're done with slavery. You know, trafficking and slavery, it's a horrible thing in our world to this day. 
And a taskmaster, when you're a slave, you go from one meaningless thing to another. The taskmaster may say, do this. Okay, well, it's not for anybody but you. It's meaningless. Now go do this. You just go from one meaningless thing to the other. That's what the word means. The word taskmaster means those who bring you from one meaningless place to another. And when that gets bad enough, where you just go, help. If there's anybody that could help, help. If there's anybody listening, help. Because I just feel like I'm going from one pit to the next, one meaningless place to the next, one oppression to the next oppression. And God says, I see, and I hear you cry. I'm listening. I'm listening. What do you want to say? I'm listening. Um, sure you picture, see if you see anything unusual about, about this. It's a bridge. It was a bridge built in 1998. Many people thought it was the best designed bridge in the entire world. It's called the Choluteca um, Bridge. And um, uh, it's, it's, it's built um, in Honduras where they have really terrible um, hurricanes. And so they built it saying there is no hurricane that could ever blow this bridge down. And they were right. They finished it in 1998. And in 1998, Hurricane Mitch hit. And it was destructive and wiped everything out, but not the bridge. But you may notice a little problem. (laughs) The river moved. (laughs) And so to this day, they have no idea what to do. There've been all kinds of suggestions offered, but if you go to see it, what you will see is a bridge to nowhere, a bridge from nowhere to nowhere. And I want to tell you, you can walk around in your own truth all you want but it's a bridge to nowhere. And if you're not careful, you'll get to the end of that beautiful bridge. It's a fine bridge. It's one of the longest bridges in the, in the world. It's a fine bridge. It just goes nowhere, starts nowhere. And if you get to the end of that bridge, you can walk right off it to death. God says, you don't have to. You don't have to. I hear you. I hear you. Life without God is a bridge to nowhere. And life with the wrong God eventually Eventually, the wrong God will say, keep on going. Oh, I know you can't see. It's okay. Trust me. (laughs) Trust me. I wouldn't lead you astray. Ah, and off you go. Life without God, life with the wrong God, not a place you want to be. So what do you do? He's listening. That's how he introduces himself. I hear the cry of my people when they're oppressed. He is the He is the God who runs to the slave, who runs to the oppressed. I want to tell you, the closest place God can be to anybody today is to a slave. Anybody in this world who is trafficked, who is enslaved, who is oppressed, who is broken, God is right beside them to bring them love and justice because he hears their cry. And that could be you because you don't have to wear chains on your hands to be a slave. You don't have to be trafficked to be a slave. If you don't know God, if you've left him behind, if you have the wrong God, then you're in slavery. And he says, I hear you. I'm listening. You ready to cry out? I'll build you a new bridge. I'll build you a bridge to life. He goes on, five things. Number three, he says, here's what I want you to know about me. Number three, I know you. (laughs) Still in verse seven, I know their Sufferings. Now, I know these words are a little uh, similar, but they all have a very unique meaning. For instance, this word know means I know you by experience. You say, no, he doesn't. Well, no, I know I don't want to know him or follow him. Maybe you're a skeptic. He doesn't know me by experience. He doesn't know my own life, really. You know, most of the religions of the world think we're just nuts because we believe this crazy thing that nobody else believes but followers of Jesus, that God chose to become one of us, chose to become one of us. Why? So he could know our sorrows. Hmm. In Isaiah chapter 53, one of the great prophetic words from God, it's all about Jesus written a whole long time before Jesus lived. In Isaiah 53 verse 3, God says he was despised and rejected by men, listen to this, a man of sorrows. It's the same word from Exodus 3. God said, I know. He told this all those years before Jesus. I know your sorrows. And then he said, so I'm gonna become them. A man of sorrows. 
acquainted with griefs, as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely, look at this, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. God says, I know you because I became a man of sorrows for you. Donna, come on up here. God knows you, and because he knows you, he bears your sorrows. Donna and I were talking one day, and I was saying, man, this, this, this passage has blown me away. In fact, it was my mentor overseas, Gary Witherall, we told you about him before, that said, you ever, you ever notice how God introduces himself? He says these things like, I know you. And Donna goes, you gotta be kidding. I'm studying this passage too. I said, no, you're not. Yes, you are. We argued a little bit. And then, and then I said, well, if, we're gonna, if I'm gonna teach it, then we gotta teach it together. So Donna, take them a little deeper into this idea that God knows. So us. the reason that I was studying this passage was because I had the privilege of teaching this passage to some of the most important people in this building. The future of this church, which is right back there. And I was studying this passage, and when John and I were talking about it, and we were talking about God knows, I said, John, did you see the verse before Moses is introduced? The verse before Moses is introduced in chapter 2, verse 25, it says, and God saw the Israelites, and God knew And just as John said, God knew about the slavery. He knew everything. And I think for me, to know for certain that God knows everything going on in the world right now, to know for certain that God knows every detail of my life, to know for certain that there's nothing in my brain that God doesn't know, he doesn't understand, and he's not ready to intervene when I call out to him. God knew and God knows, probably to me, and God knew is probably some of the most important words I've ever heard in the Bible because it's intimate, as John says. Actually, one tra- translator says that the word knows, n- knew, know there is the way of intimacy between a man and a woman. That's how intimate God is with me. And I just think that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And when God sees us and he knows us, then you know what? Then God comes to us. I think one of the most important words, too, in this passage, if you look at verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, so here's the story going on, all the, all the affliction, all the slavery, and the first word in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, meanwhile. See, when we don't think God is working, it's like that song, Waymaker, God is always at work. So whatever's going on in your heart, in your life right now, you think there's no hope, there's always hope because what you don't understand is there's a meanwhile. So chapter three, verse one says, meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And actually, Moses was shepherding sheep that didn't even belong to him. Actually, Moses was on the bridge to nowhere. Because Moses had run away. Sometimes I think we're on that bridge to nowhere. And we're doing things that don't have anything to do with God's plan for our life. And what God does is he comes to us. He wants to know us and he comes to us. And he said, I'm going to come to you, but I want you to understand there's a response when I come to you. Um, In verse 2, it says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, a fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw the bush was on fire, but it was not consumed. When Jesus comes to you, when God comes to you, it's not going to be a mistake. All those stories that James told today that you're like, wow, that's so awesome. That's so cool. When God comes to you, he comes to you in power. He doesn't say, hey, by the way, he comes to you in an indescribable power. God was in that bush. The bush was not burning up and Moses saw it, but then Moses had a decision that he had to make when God came to him. 
in verse three, it says, and Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why is the bush not burning up? In verse three, the key to that whole verse is Moses said, I will turn aside to see. It was like James saying, I will say yes to God. See, you can see the power of God and you can walk away from it. You don't, have to, you don't have to say yes to God. But if you don't say yes to God, you're going to miss the power of God, the true power of God. Moses turned aside. He physically said, I am going to go see this bush and that the bush is not burning up. I'm going to let my life and my plan be interrupted. He could have said, you know, if I turn aside to see this bush, uh, the sheep might get lost or, or, or something might happen. But he stopped and he chose to be interrupted. When God's power comes, will you choose to be interrupted? Verse 4 shows the response that God had to the yes that Moses gave. Verse 4 says, When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see God, God called him out of the bush, out of the power. God said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Here I am. I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, when God comes to us, Will we be interrupted? Or do we have our checklist and our plans that we have? Months and months ago, I was in a city called Salmon, Idaho. It's in the middle of the beautiful mountains. Um, it's Mormon territory. To grow a church there is just miraculous. The pastor of the church there is named Mike Palmer. He's been there for years and years. And the church is about the size of you guys, but that's a miracle there. That's a miracle to have that size of church because it's a hard, it's, it's a hard place to reach Mormons for Christ. And I respect Mike Palmer so much, and I was, I was sitting and having a conversation with them one day after the service. He has two female interns, and he utilizes them so beautifully in, in serving the Lord. And I said to him, I said, Mike, I just want to tell you, I'm really impressed with the way you utilize your female interns. You just don't say, hey, go take care of the kids. And he respectfully said, Miss Donna, he put his hand on my shoulder. He said, Miss Donna, you know I love you. I said, yeah, Mike, I know. He said, but did you just hear what you said? You said, just go take care of the kids? He said, Donna, back there, that's my most treasured possession. He said, that's the future of this church. He said, I only use the best of the best to teach our kids and to train them. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just came over me and I was like, oh, Lord. There's not a lot of people that I just could receive that from, but I could receive it from Mike Palmer. The future of our church is back there. We need some people to step up. We need some people to see a burning bush in those kids. We need some people to say yes. And I just challenge you that after the service today, go back there to the, to the children's table, and I'm sorry to cry. See, I had a plan, and the plan was not going to work with the kids. But I'm telling you guys, the most precious people are back there. And it is the honor of my life when I get a chance to teach them. God is at work. When God is at work, he shows up in power, and it's our decision, will our life be interrupted, and will we say yes to that? All right, you're starting to get it. If you want to know God, who are you trying to know? If you want to meet him fresh today, just like for the first time, well, do you have to know who he says he is, and you know one who sees you and hears you and knows you, then he comes to you. But that's not the end, because the last thing he says is, I send you. I send you. That's why having James and Shelly and their family here today and talking about the next steps for us on mission and our community and beyond are so critical, because God always sends us. He said to Moses, all right now, now you know who I am. You know, I see you, hear you, know you. I have come to you. 
And now I am sending you to Pharaoh. Oh, thanks a lot, Lord. <laughs> You're sending me to set your people free. Yes, yes. With all the power you'll need, everything that you will need. And that's how God introduces himself to us daily because he's on a mission himself and he wants us to be with him. His mission is, he said, Jesus said, is to seek and save the lost. And if we're gonna be followers of his, we can't be on any other mission than that. Will you accept the mission? Will you accept the mission? If you do, remember that when you join Jesus on his mission to find those that don't know him yet, to love them, to serve them, they think all we do is oppose them. If you join Jesus on the mission to love them and serve them and care for them and share the gospel with them, then remember, <laughs> with you is one who, who hears you, who sees you and hears you and knows you and comes to you. So it's not, it doesn't have to be frightening that he sends you. Verse 14, <laughs> God said to Moses, I am who I am. Moses said, so what's your name? You know, we got all kinds of names of gods around here. Man, Egypt, they got, they got a hundred of them, maybe more. What's your name? What do I tell them? They want to know what your name is. Just tell them. I am who I am. I've just told you, Moses. I've just told you what I want you to know about me. And if they get to know me, they'll know it too, that I see and I hear and I know and I come and I always send. You know what's interesting about his name Sometimes we say Yahweh, Jews won't even speak it. Sometimes we say Jehovah in our language. But you know what that, what's important about that name? We don't really know whether it's present or future tense. It can be either in the grammar. So what God says is, Moses, know this. I've just told you what's important about who I am. But know this, I am who I am always because I am who I will be. Who I will be is who I am. So whatever you're dealing with today, he sees, he hears, he knows, he comes. And that's enough for you to say yes when he sends. And whatever you'll be dealing with tomorrow, he hears and he sees and he knows and he comes. And that's enough for him to send us. In the ministry I lead, when, um, when the pastor in Central Asia said, will you help us? My first thought was, um, I have no money at all. <laughs> I lead a debt-free ministry that never has any money until God gives us something to do and then he provides it. But I said yes and came back and told our, our team and our missionaries. I just said, yeah, do you know what that'll cost to bring a full team to Central Asia to do a summit? Yes, I do. But I believe God has heard and seen and he knows, he cares about us, he comes to us and now he sends. So I answered yes. And God's providing everything we need and he will for you too no matter where you find yourself today. He is where you are and he's where you will be. He is where this church is and he's where this church will be. And I finished with this story. A young lady from Iran who had also spent time in Syria and Turkey, found herself a, a refugee, an immigrant, a lonely young woman in Germany, in Berlin, Germany. When the COVID lockdown happened, we think it was bad here. Man, if you were in Germany, you basically stayed in your apartment. And so there in her apartment, having been a good Muslim girl all of her life, she cried out to Allah, help me, help me, help me, God, help me. I am alone in a strange place, help me. And he didn't see, he didn't hear, he didn't know and he didn't come. And after months and months of months of begging Allah, one day she woke up and she said, you're not here. You're not real. I wonder who God really is. What would you do? I'm glad it's the day we live in because not too many decades ago, there wouldn't have been much anything for her to do. But she had a computer. So she thought, well, I know who the people that, that believe in Jesus are. Maybe I should check him out. You know why she did that? Because walking through a park one day, somebody handed her a brochure about Jesus. And she, oh, those are infidels. She said it, 
somewhere in her house. But when she realized Allah was not there, she opened it back up and she read three pages and fell in love with Jesus. She said, I, I don't know anything about this one named Jesus, but I must, I must know. So those infidels in America, they know about Jesus, right? So she went online and started learning from American churches. And one day, online, a Muslim who had come to Jesus told her how she could know Jesus. And she met him all alone in her apartment, locked down in Europe in COVID. When the lockdown finally ended, she thought, I've got, I gotta find people that know him. She had never met a follower of Jesus in her life. She had no idea where to start. She tried. She'd read what she called Jesus's book, the New Testament. She knew she was supposed to be baptized, but she didn't find anybody that would help her. But one day she heard that for some crazy reason, there were a whole bunch of people who loved Jesus coming from all over the world to Berlin, Germany. There were Americans, there were Africans, there were Asians, there were Europeans. There were Iranians who used to be Muslims and came to Jesus. She heard about it and she said, I've got to find these people. And when she came and found them after about five bus trips trying to find where this place was, she saw a man standing outside the building. She saw a banner. And said, oh, this is the place. I found it. And she went straight to that man. And that man was me. Because Easter weekend, I was a part of 200 missionaries. Now, when we say missionaries, some of them were Iranians who had known Jesus nine months, people from Kyrgyzstan who'd known Jesus for one year. All we mean by missionaries is they cared enough about Jesus to go anywhere in the world to tell others about him. And so they gathered with us and we trained them morning and night. And then during the day over Easter weekend, guess what? Almost every nation in the world, 193 nations, came to those parks and we went to meet them. And this young lady came straight to me and her words were, my name is Aline. I am from Iran and I have met Jesus. Can you help me? I'm hearing those words a lot lately. Will you help me? And so we did. We helped her. And then she began to help us. She joined our team. She went out in the same park where somebody had given her a little brochure about, about Jesus. And she shared the gospel too. In fact, you can see her right here. And others began to come to know Jesus. And toward the end of that trip, she said, could I be baptized? You like my family now. All of our team, you like my family now. Could I be baptized? We couldn't find any place to baptize her. The church in Europe is so dead. We couldn't find anybody to baptize. Nobody, would, no, no baptistries anywhere. And finally, I had an idea. You see, I had a bathtub in my hotel room. I said, how would you feel about that? She said, oh, I don't care where. So we crammed 20 people in a little European hotel room. We got video. We don't have it yet. We're editing it. We'll have it one day to show you. And her Muslim brother two brothers came and we crammed all those people in that hotel room and we baptized her in that bathtub. And I think we rocked the foundation of the hotel with people cheering and crying and rejoicing. And Aline in front of even her own family said this, I will live for Jesus. If necessary, I will die for Jesus. He is my life. He is my savior. He is my king. And as we prepared to leave, and we were all crying, she said, I don't know what I'll do. You're my family now. And I got a moment alone with her and I blurted out. I said, Aline, we really are your family. I know your father is dead. I know that no one in your family yet knows Jesus. And I have a question to ask you. Could I be your father? And she, fell in, she just fell in my arms. And so now we Zoom with her. She has a sister sitting right here, my daughter, Christy. 
But there's a problem. In, in Germany, when you baptize someone, they don't even accept you as a Christian in the government unless you're baptized into a church. We couldn't find a church we <laughs> baptize her into there. So you know what I did? I called your pastor. I called our pastor. I called Jay. And I said, hey, what do you think? <laughs> could we have a church member that lives on the other side of the world? Yes, we could. So that girl is your sister in Christ at Midtown Church. And so, since she's my newly adopted daughter on Father's Day, on Father's Day, you're gonna hear from her because we're gonna have her speak to you and tell you a little bit more about how she's come to Christ so you'll be able to pray for her and support her. You're a new member of this family. How cool is that? Wherever you are, God is there. Wherever you are, he knows you. And he invites you to know him too. Stand up with me, would you? Lord, I just thank you. I thank you that you see and you hear and you know and you come. And then you send. So you sent us in our ministry to Berlin, Germany and to Central Asia. And now I think, Lord, you've sent some of them to us. You've sent James and his family. You've sent Aline to be a member of our family. And pretty sure now, Lord, that you're sending us to them. So Lord, would you right now meet us in a fresh way that we might meet you again for the first time right now, that we might know you for who you truly are. And then as you send us, we'll go with you with all the power we need in Jesus' name.